Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm Jason Van of your host. What an incredibly gorgeous day today. I sure hope you folks got out this weekend, enjoyed the weather, enjoyed the sun, because uh, it's all going away real fast. Like maybe then tomorrow night. And uh, we're entering once again the the phase of fire and flood. Ice and fire, maybe. Some uh, weather reports are saying even up to 30 inches. I don't think that's what it's going to be. I think it's going to be like one to three inches. But I think we're definitely going to get snow, definitely going to get rain, and a big turnaround for the weather. And you know, I had asked for just just a week or two of good weather, and we got a portion of it. Before we enter the burning times of summer, where Colorado turns into the, uh, the plains of Mordor, and... Uh, all that, just, just give us a like a month of summer, like good summer, not sweltering summer, not summer that snows, not Wyoming windy summer, but just like summer I can sit out on the front deck and just enjoy life. That's what I want. All right. Well, today's going to be a, a fun little episode. I've had so much doom and gloom lately, I, I had to get a, uh, a human interest story. There'll be a little bit of doom and gloom. And I, I got plenty of doom and gloom coming up. Um, so for those of you who heard about the uh, the protests that was happening during the duck race outside a local resort, um, I had posted up on... I ran out there when I heard there were people protesting. I, I jumped in my car and ran right there. And they had already been moved out by uh, private security. But we got some good news there. We, they did get paid, and I'm going to be speaking with the business owner who uh, was doing that protest with her family, and we're going to talk about why. I've also got an interview with their uh, kind of a social advocate um, and uh, that, that was involved in the story as well. And I've also reached out to the Stanley, who, who now owns this property. So it's the, the Fall River Resort, and the Stanley purchased it as in, in anticipation of their big film centers going on. And uh, so this will be the first in a multi-part series. I got to run everything by my attorneys, make sure, you know, I'm not going to get sued. Um, or if I do that, I got the legal backing. But uh, yeah, we're going to just start talking about some of those stories and, and not just with that particular story, but we're digging into some other things here at the Switchblade. So uh, that's coming up. Also got a great interview coming up next month. I'm going to have Governor Jared Polis coming on to talk about kind of what's been happening with the with the leaked Supreme Court documents dealing with the Roe versus Wade uh, decision and 50 years of, of you know, uh, women's reproductive rights, um, kind of the just the shifting that's happening in different parts of the country and how certain rights and some of the progress that we've we've really made with the LGBTQ plus community, women's health rights, abortion rights, all of those, we, we've we've come so far, and Colorado's really been on the, the tip of the spear with it in a lot of ways. Um, but talking about kind of what's been happening with all that and how Colorado specifically is going to be protecting some of the progress that we've made socially here um, with, with these rights. And, um, you know, talk about this whole back to the basics kind of movement that, uh, you know... I think the the back to the basics, the, the the basics that that golden era they're talking about really only ever worked out for 
uh, straight white men mostly back in the 50s and 60s. I don't want to go back there. I don't think that worked out all that well for, you know, my kind of people, for uh, for people that were poor, for people who had, you know, a healthy distrust of authority, um, non-Christians, non-straight. I, I think, uh, I know I don't want to raise my kids in a world that's back to the basics. And that's something we're seeing even here in the, the county. Um, so we're going to be uh, going into that. That'll be kind of the middle of next month that Governor Polis is going to be coming on, but should be a great interview. It'll be the second time I've interviewed Governor Polis. Um, if you scroll all the way back to like the beginning of the Colorado Switchblade before we had the podcast, um, I reprinted a interview. I had an exclusive interview with him. I want to say it was, it'll be almost exactly two years to the mark, um, that, uh, I originally interviewed him and it was, that interview was about growing up gay on the front range of Colorado. Cause me and him both grew up on the front range of Colorado. And, uh, I had reached out to him when I was working for the paper and, um, he said yes. So I, I had an exclusive interview with him a couple years ago and uh, he's coming back on. I, I saw a pod, I was on a podcast. He was on a libertarian podcast with uh, Reason Magazine. And, you know, it's like, well, I should just reach out. Maybe he'll come on the podcast. I know I'm just a, a small little startup Substack podcast based out of Estes Park, but you never know until you, you reach out and ask. And man, I, I could tell you that more often than not, if you just you know, come up with a good pitch that's well thought out and and actually have the courage to send it off. You can get a lot more interviews than you you, you may not than you may think. So, uh, yeah, have the governor coming on. Um, I'm going to be having Mary McCord, who heads up uh, Georgetown's laws, constitutional kind of section. I've been doing a series of, of speaking engagements uh, with Georgetown law. I actually did my first one via Zoom. Uh, Monday of this week, and I'm going to be flying out to Milwaukee um, to do this, uh, be a dinnertime speaker at this conference. And it's, it's you know, a lot of um, local government, you know, local attorney general's offices, governor's offices, uh, some politicians from Washington, D.C., local law enforcement. Um, so I'll be doing that. And then I was just invited after the, the Zoom talk I gave uh, with Georgetown Law on Monday I was invited to go out to a Seattle conference. So in September, I'll be heading out to Seattle to speak um, again to a bunch of like lawyers and, and cops and politicians. I'm still not quite sure why they want to hear me speak, but apparently they like what I'm saying about uh, violent extremism, violent extremism. Um, on Monday's talk, I kind of drew a line between the normalizing of, of, you know, guys showing up, you know, heavily armed to, to protests and, you know, dressing the part for violence and, and having the, the tools of violence and how that normalization really kind of leads to what we saw in Buffalo, New York this weekend is a tragic event. And I think there's a direct line between the, the, the messaging of groups like the Oath Keepers um, and, and these violent right-wing militias mostly. I mean, it's, it's, it's extremism on either end. I mean, I, these, these days I'm really consider myself an extreme centrist. So I'm still extreme, but you know, I think, I think we all got to get along. I think we need to weaponize empathy and understanding. We need to weaponize hope. So that's what I'm trying to do. All right. So with today's interview, again, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk with SS Park Mayor Wendy Koenig, who I've known since I started writing at the paper. We actually have pretty good rapport. Um, you know, 
when when Shiloh had her heart attack, you know, that Wendy Koenig was one of the first people to reach out to me and ask, is there anything I can do? Can I, can I, do you need me to take care of the, your kids? You know, what, what can I do to help? And it just, it's a testament to the community we have in Estes Park that, um, you know, someone I really didn't know, I just knew through, through doing my reporting at the, uh, the local newspaper would reach out like that. And, and we've developed a good relationship since then, a good rapport. And, um, so, uh, yeah, I thought it would be great because I found out and I didn't know this until I, I just happened to Google her name. I think I was looking for her contact information or, or something. There was something I was looking up about the mayor and I suddenly a, a, a hit popped up on Wikipedia that she was an Olympian, not just one time, but she, she competed in two, uh, Olympic games and, and even more than that. She, it'll be the 50 year anniversary of the 1972 Olympics, which is a good thing and it's a bad thing. This is a little bit of doom that's in the podcast today. So, um, she was at the, I'm sorry, the 19, um, yeah, 1972, and they call it the Munich Massacre. Um, it was a part of the 1972 Olympics, uh, Summer Olympics, which were held in Munich, um, in West Germany. And uh, it, it that was the Olympics when, and I know for a lot of you like me, you may not know much about this because we weren't born yet. I was, I, in 1972, I still wasn't going to be born for two years. Um, but to, to give you a little history lesson, uh, the, the 1972 Summer Olympic Games, um, which was what, XX, so that's 20, Olympic Games 20, um, and commonly known as Munich 1972, was an international multi-sport event, and uh, it was held in Munich, Bavaria, or West Germany, um, from August 26th to September 11th, 1972. However, the event was overshadowed by what's called the Munich Massacre in the second week, in which 11 Israeli athletes and coaches and a West German police officer at the Olympic Village were killed by Palestinians' Black September members. And um, Black September was a, a Palestinian militant organization that got founded back in 1970. Um, the group was also responsible for the assassination of the Jordanian Prime Minister, Wasif Tal, and uh, the events that happened at the uh, Olympic Village there in, in, in uh, Germany. And guess what? Our mayor was right there. She, wasn't, she didn't even graduate high school yet. And she was an Olympian. She was a she. She was uh, between her junior senior year, and actually after that was all done, she came back and did her senior year right here at Estes Park High School. So we have just an incredible interview with uh, Mayor Wendy, and she's telling us about how she first started running track, and um, and she was a, a mid distance runner. She was a mid distance runner. Um, I think she mostly competed in the eight hundred. Um, and, uh, you know, we didn't even really have a track team then, but the story's so good. I'm going to let her tell it in her own words, but man, I just, just <coughs> so much stuff I didn't know. And, uh, I know there's probably a whole lot of people here in the Estes Park community, Colorado community that had no idea that the mayor of Estes Park was an Olympian and not only was an Olympian and a high school Olympian, but she survived the black September attacks. And, and she also apparently had been taken hostage another time outside of that. 
um, while traveling with, with the different competitive teams. So she's going to tell us all about that and being a teenager and in the Olympics. And it's a great, great interview. And it just, it seemed perfect because we got some heavy stuff coming. Um, we just got done with some, some doom and gloom and there's so much doom and gloom in the world today. I thought, you know what? It's such a beautiful day. We, we, we just have to have a, a feel good story. And yeah, there's a little bit of doom and gloom, but it, it really, trust me, it's a great, great interview. So, um, Let's get all the business out of the way. I want to thank our podcast sponsors. Um, it is the Historic Park Theater and the Real Mountain Movie Theater. And uh, I've been going to movies quite a bit. Like I went down and saw um, the uh, the new Firestarter. And after watching the trailers and such, I, I didn't expect much. Now, it's not great. It's not like a reboot like it was. It and it too just i think was the best thing that king is has rebooted um and then the uh the series on on apple tv was just fantastic um and um firestarter surprised me i was expecting it to kind of be a bomb and uh you know it was it was pretty interesting they had some great takes on things and, uh, I mean, it wasn't fantastic. It wasn't an, uh, an, like I said, an, a reboot of it, but it was worth watching. It was pretty good. And, um, other movies playing this week, you're looking for something to do. I know I always am on the weekend, especially with my kids. If you're visiting Estes park and, and you know, it's, it's after eight or nine o'clock, <laughs> this may be the only thing you could do. Not that they've switched over to summer hours yet. They're still just going to like five, six or seven. So you want to get in there. Um, but this week they are also doing, and I may go see this one, Sunday and Wednesday, Sunday at 3, Wednesday at 7. They're doing a this original Star Trek motion picture, the director's edition. And um, so, yeah, I am a big Trekkie. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm writing or doing podcasts about how Star Trek may save the world. But, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> check it out. You can uh, see what shows are playing by following, just click on the banners at the bottom of the uh, show notes here, and uh, it'll bring you right up. Anyway, let's uh, let's jump into this interview. And again, this was with the SS Park Mayor Wendy Koenig, and uh, recorded earlier today. So I hope you enjoy it. I know I sure did. Well, we got a treat today. We are actually talking with uh, Mayor Wendy and. We're not going to talk about politics today. We're, we're just going to leave that alone, which works out perfect for me because I've had so many kind of hard stories I've been working on lately. I just, we need a good human interest story. And I found out something about you that I had no idea. Now, granted, I've only known you since I started working at the newspaper, but right. um, I learned a very interesting piece of history and you're a part of that. And um, I, I know I didn't know it and I'm, I'm fairly new to town, you know, only been here five, six years. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of people who, you know, grew up here and know, but, you know, for the people that just may be moving here or just, you know, relocated about the same time I did, they may not have any idea, much like I didn't, that at one point you were an Olympian. I I was, a couple of times. Wow. Yeah. So tell us about that. Tell us about being an Olympian. Well, I was very fortunate because I became an Olympian when I was a senior in high school. Okay. And I went to school in Estes Park. Right. And I actually ran with a team out of Broomfield because okay. we didn't really have a big track program up here. 
And um, I was very fortunate. The coach got involved with uh, AAU track and field. And within a week of joining the team, I'd gone down to New Mexico and competed and, and went to um, the Junior Olympics in the high jump within a few weeks of beginning to compete on his team. And so, that's what I was going to what, what different events did you compete in? Well, I started off as a pentathlete. Okay. So I did high jump, long jump, hurdles, shot put. Um, and my first meet that I went down to, Judy Genesta was the PE teacher up here and received an invitation to go down to Broomfield to the state pentathlon. Well, I'd never hurdled and I'd never thrown the shot put. So my dad took me out and said, hey, here's how you hurdle. Judy had given us the invitation and it said, you know, you do everything so well, why don't you go down there and find out? And it turned out I qualified for regionals at wow. that meet. First time ever competing in some of those. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I went down, the girls had regular running uniforms and they had spikes and I went in the long shorts and the <laughs> knee-high socks. It was very obvious I had never That's competed awesome, in, a, in a track meet and the first event was the hurdles and the... The starter, who actually ended up being my coach, asked, well, now, is there anybody, he looked at me and then said, is there anybody here who's never run the hurdles before? <laughs> <laughs> me. So they put me in the last heat so I could watch everybody run the oh, hurdles. Yeah, see? Yeah. And then when I got to the shot put, is there anybody who's never shot putted before? Me. <laughs> and it was, I'll go in the back of the ring put it, don't fall over the toe board, and then walk back out so you have a legal throw. And then they had a good time asking me to come throw more than once. I said, no, I had a legal throw. <laughs> you know, I'm good. So that was really fun, and that started my, my career. And um, it wasn't really until Hildegard Falk ran the 800 meters, or 880 yards. She ran under at two minutes. So the, what years did you... First off, tell us, how did you get plugged into the Olympic team? How did that happen? Well, that that was um, going to national competitions and competing. And so the first thing that plugged me in was running my first 800. And what year was that? That was in 1971. Okay. And I had been a 400 runner, hurdler, pentathlete up to that point, And I heard that she'd run at two minutes and I called my coach and said, I can run two minutes because I can run a 55 quarter. There's no reason I can't run two minutes. So um, the qualifying time for 70, 1972 was 2.04. And my first 800, it wasn't as easy to run two minutes as I thought. <laughs> and I ran 2.10.6, but it made me the fourth fastest 800 runner in the United States. Wow. And then everybody pointed their finger and says, you're an 800 runner. And I said, well, that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. So in 72, I still didn't run too flat in the Olympics. And then in 76, I finally, you know, six years after starting my, or five years after starting and saying I could run under two minutes. I finally got under two minutes in the Olympic Games. So for me, that was my gold medal was running under. You would have thought I'd ran 150 flat. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran in the semifinal round there. And in the 1972 Olympics in Munich, Germany, 
I, I just ran in the prelim round and didn't progress any farther. But I was pretty young. I was 17. It was well, the youngest team we'd ever sent. I mean, what was it like to go from, you know, Estes Park, Colorado and going to the regional track meet with, you know, shorts that don't match and, and you know, knee socks to to walking into the Olympic Village and, and just oh, being there. I mean, bring us to that point. Well, it's just an amazing experience. And and Munich was the last Olympics where we were all allowed as athletes to get together. That was the age of discotheques. So they had a discotheque on site for the Olympic Village. And so you could go down there in the evening. We were there for a couple of weeks. You could go down in the evening and you could dance. And music is international. You don't have to speak the same language. And right. so you'd have all sorts of people dancing together and just having a ball. And uh, that was pretty amazing. Um, I Some of the older people, the 21-year-olds on the team, kind of looked after me. And, you know, you had to work out. My parents, every, every day at, at training, you still continued to train. My parents flew over and, and took my best friend, Leslie Hamilton, and they stayed a couple of miles from the village. Okay. So we were able to take a few side trips and things. And had a really good time and uh, but Munich is where Black September came in and we saw you all watched on TV with an ongoing coverage of it but we didn't have that happening in Germany so what was your experience with it like what what well I saw the guy in the Panama hat he was just apartment complex down from me we didn't know who he was and uh, actually, I went out to look at Heidelberg Castle with my parents and my friend. And on the way back, because we didn't have cell phones or anything right. back then, on the way back on the radio, on the Air Force, U.S. Air Force Station radio, we heard that Black September was in the village and getting ready to, you know, take hostages and fly out. Now, I was 17, so when you're 17, you don't think that you could die. Right. And I, I told my parents, I got to get back in the village. And they're going, you're not going back in. And I said, well, no, I'll be docked and have to run extra and everything if I'm not back in time for practice, you know, right. which sounds ridiculous now. But then it was perfectly logical. And to their credit, they actually let me walk across the bridge and go into the village. And what did you find when you went there? Well, I found that there were tanks and there were people carrying submachine guns and we were not allowed to go in the regular way to the elevator to go up to my floor. I had to go in and go upstairs because there were bomb threats. And uh, I got there just moments after the helicopter flew past our main window for the floor for the women, U.S. team. And so everybody was telling me about that. And then you had um, probably three or four days of people reporting shootings and things that didn't happen. Okay. And yeah. uh, one of the athletes raced another one up a flagpole and the one guy fell and got hurt. And they said the U.S. athlete had a gun and of course he didn't. And so things went kind of crazy. And then uh, opening, that was when we had opening ceremonies, you know, that was really sad in Montreal because 
it brought back everything that had happened in 72. Right. And we all were in tears when the Israeli athletes marched into the stadium in Montreal. That was pretty amazing. I bet. So it was... That, you I, really were right. First seat, first row seat at such a historic moment. Well, and I think when you're young enough, I mean, we were actually another time held hostage in... Um, near Africa, flying over. Wait, 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 they you, had the you, plane you, land. I mean, I, you, I've had a lot of disasters. That, you, you say that like it's nothing. I mean, well, you when know. you're young, it was nothing. It was just they pulled us off the plane and they weren't going to let the plane fly on to Senegal for me to compete. And we all, I remember we all sat, sat down and we were drinking pop and stuff with the guys standing there with their guns in the airport. So who was it and what? So I don't even remember who that okay. group was. They just had stopped us and I think they were trying to get money to let the athletes go on, you know. And so for me, the world opened up in lots of ways. I was... In, Estes Park, Colorado. Not right. a whole lot happened, but tourists coming through, you know. Well, so apparently they make them a little tougher here because you're you're talking about being held by, you know, hostage and and go to these major events like it's nothing. But again, you kind of have to be this way here. I mean, we have fires and floods, and life's not necessarily no just picturesque I, in Estes. Yeah, you got to earn it. You know, I got to start my my term as mayor, and we had. COVID and a fire evacuation. So yeah. I guess my whole life has been a little tagged with just some major events. I don't know. Maybe somebody was looking out for me so I'd know how to handle some of the stuff. But anyway, back to the Olympic Games. Um, we had some fun stories. They had the opening ceremonies and you would march in and then you stood in the field and we had, this is a fun story I like anyway. We had all of us standing out there and they released birds of peace, doves of peace, right. but they had them caged all morning. So they flew up and a guy from India got poop right in his beard. <laughs> and, Things never go as planned. No, never goes as planned. And they kept wanting him to wash it out. He said, no, it's an omen. <laughs> I'm competing luck. with this. Good, Good luck. luck. I'm yeah. competing with this. So you'd see him around the village with the bird poop in his, in his beard, but... You know, so there's superstition all over the world, oh, yeah. right? I, mean, I, yeah. I, I know fighters that wouldn't, you know, always had to wear a certain pair of shorts or, yeah. you know, athletes are just a goofy bunch sometimes. Yeah, we're kind of a goofy bunch of people. So, and then when I got back home, I stayed um, extra days because my family's Swiss. And so we drove to Vigelsville, Switzerland. And I met my cousins, my Swiss cousins. They still live in the same farmhouse they lived in in the 1700s. Oh, wow. So you had the wooden pegs, you know, and and the grandpa poured schnapps for everybody and said, look at the star, <laughs> and we were drinking schnapps. So that was fun because I got connected to the yeah. other Koenigs that are Swiss. And then I remember I came home and the kids it was really, diff that was probably more difficult than some of the scary things that happened to me. It was coming back as a senior and everybody had a 10-day head start on me in school. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was kind of weird, like, where were you and what were you doing? And I remember I had to take a typing class. This, this dates me 50 years ago, but we had a few Olivetti typewriters. They were electric. But Is it if the ball that was... It's, I think it was still the arms that came uh, okay. up. But if you hit two keys at the same time, the Olivetti locked up. 
they locked up and you couldn't you couldn't type anymore. So everybody had learned to stay away from the Olivetti, and of course they left it for me. And <laughs> right away, you know, I locked up the whole the whole typewriter, and I thought, oh, I'm in trouble, and they were laughing. So the kids had a good time. Yeah. You know, my my classmates had a good time. Did they know that? Like you, I mean, you came back to high school here in Estes Park, and you were Olympian. Did your did your 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 co students? Did they did they know? Oh yeah, they knew. They had a welcome party and okay. a real good friend. He lived across the street, Dave Weimers. He's actually was a cartoonist with Disney in his oh, wow. adult life. He he did a big poster, and then out at the Lazy Bee Wranglers, the whole town came to a welcome home party for me from being an Olympian. So you know, the town's always treated me so kindly. And well, I mean, you're kind of part of the fabric of the town. I mean. It, 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 your family has history. You've been plugged in and part of it for so long. That yeah, you, you and really I lived other part of the family. I lived uh, other places, but came back. I brought my all my kids back so they could go all through school here. Because mm -hmm. very impressed with the school district and and uh, I I manage teams and you know in Barcelona and in Tokyo and. As time went on, athletes started to get paid, and then they didn't want to stay at the hotel where you were, and so you had to get in a taxi and go get them for their event and things. And so eventually, my dad, I was heading off to another track and field convention, um, and this was in the 90s. It was before Atlanta, and he said, you know, Wendy, you could just grow up and stay home now with your kids. <laughs> And so I got, I got to the for for the nineteen ninety games, and I got I got to the conference, and I had been manager on all these big teams, and they selected someone so to be Olympic manager teams? to the well, not the Olympic teams, but world championships <clears throat> and World Cups and things. Wow. And so because I'd competed in everything, we all thought that probably I would get to be a manager for the Olympics. And they picked somebody that hadn't even ever gone to an Olympic Games. So, um, and I, I sat in the meeting and went, I think my dad was right. I think I'll go home. <laughs> <laughs> and I went home and raised my family and, and opened my audiology practice and kind of put all the running behind me. Gotcha. So, well, thank you so much for sharing this. What a great story. Well, you're welcome. Is there anything else we haven't touched on you'd like to add? No, I just think that right now I'm getting a lot of people asking to talk to me because it's been 50 years since I... All right, it's the, the and anniversary. It's, and it's Title IX. It's the 50th anniversary of Title IX also, so which is when women were able to get scholarships and things. So I had oh. a scholarship to CSU, Colorado State, at Fort Collins. Yep. And that was because of Title IX. Okay. So I'm glad I lived this long. Yeah. So... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so I can celebrate with people about some of these things. Yeah. But thank you so much for wanting to find out. Yeah, no, I think it's a great story. I didn't know it, so I, I'm sure I have listeners that will love listening to it as well. So well, thank, thank you. you so much for taking the time out of your day. Oh, you're welcome. Take care. All right, folks. Well, that's the interview for today. I hope you learned a little bit of something. I know I did. I had no idea. I, I, I don't know how many times I've talked to Mayor Wendy, and I, I never knew. So, uh, yeah, a little interesting bit of information about the history of Estes Park. And, um, yeah, and its current situation as well. And it was nice to just, you know, 
sometimes uh, interviews with, with government folks is not always uh, a friendly thing. And this is definitely was a, a great interview. So I'm glad we had it. All right. Well, uh, that's the show for today. Again, we got the uh, piece coming up. I don't know if it'll be this weekend or next week, but the piece with uh, talking about the demonstrations that happened during the duck race. Um, again, we've got the governor coming on in uh, a few weeks. And uh, what else we got? Oh, I've got an interview. I've been trying to get it for a couple of days now. It'll be kind of a continuation on the uh, the Denver homeless woman who was a victim of sexual assault. I've actually got Kathy Alderman, who is the Chief Communications and Public Policy Officer for the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless coming on. Uh, we've been trying to set up an interview for a few days now, and either my schedule has something crazy happen or hers does. So uh, we're hoping that tomorrow afternoon we'll have that interview done. And we're going to be talking about uh, issues of homelessness in Denver, but specifically related to um, the higher rates of sexual assault that happens to women that are experiencing homelessness. And, uh, you know, I just, I also want to get kind of a general overview of what's happening because there's a lot going on in Denver right now. There's a lot of uh, homeless camp raids. We had the Denver City Council who walked out of their own council meeting during the public comment section and uh, didn't come back, all except for one, uh, didn't come back until they, the, the protesters had left. There were protests uh, in front of the, um, the city buildings uh, over the weekend. So just going to kind of talk about uh, the plight of homelessness and specifically dealing with women experiencing homelessness and also experiencing the nightmare of sexual assault so uh that should be a great interview and um one last thing uh if you're interested in getting a sponsorship uh slot for the uh, podcast specifically please reach out to me jason at colorado switchblade.com i've got one or two left uh the others are filling up so um it's uh it's a month-to-month deal it's going to cost about the same as advertising the paper and man we are getting all kinds of listener numbers. I'll be, uh, be happy to show that to you. But uh, we're, we're, I think we surpassed 15,000 downloads. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I remember just like, I don't know, three weeks ago, we're talking, was excited we had just gotten 10. Um, but it just keeps ramping up and ramping up. So, and not just here in Estes Park, uh, we're gaining listenership across the Front Range and across the country. Um, so it's a great play to. to get in touch with locals and also get in touch with some of the people that are coming here to visit Estes Park. So, uh, our people that come back, you know, every year, they, they like keeping up on what's happening in Estes Park. So if you're interested, reach out. Um, it's, it's affordable. There's great numbers and, uh, there's no contracts. It's just a month to month agreement. Um, that way you're not locked in. If it's not working for you, you don't got to do it. All right, folks, I I really hope you got out. I really hope you enjoyed the weather because, uh, yeah, winter's coming back and uh, possibly with a vengeance. So we'll see what happens. Maybe it'll be nothing. Maybe it'll be a great day. But, uh, yeah, it's Colorado and it's Estes Park. So always expect the unexpected. All right, folks, well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. As always, I'm Jason Van Tatenov, your host, and you've been listening to the Colorado Switchblade.